Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, Bab. Hello there. How are you? I am very well. How are you this week? I am groovy. Now, can you hear that sound? What sound? The buzzing? What buzzing? The buzzing of the butterfly's wings in the air. The crispness. The almost purity of a fly that is currently flying around your microphone. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you've probably noticed there's a slightly different oral resonation to what you're hearing today, and that is because we forked out some new microphones, haven't we? To be fair, it was a little bit overdue, wasn't it? When we hear the quality of the sound of our previously recorded podcast, you can tell that is a low-budget thing. Yeah, I like to think of it as the sort of season one RuPaul's Drag Race filter. Oh yeah, that orange filter. And now we're kind of in high definition 4K, HD, ready, 1080, whatever. I mean, this is crystal clear digital sound and we are giving it to you for free, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, are you giving it to me for free? Did you pay for it and it doesn't come from my bank account? Why I put it on the joint. Oh, okay. (laughs) To be fair, let's be honest, it's still... Low to medium budget. <laughs> I mean, we splurged, we just didn't splurge that much, have we? I don't think Sony Music are going to be knocking on our door literally anytime soon to borrow our recording equipment. But hopefully for you guys listening at home or in the car or however you listen, um, in your headphones, whatever, this is going to sound a little bit better going forward. But I think that's a little bit of a matter of perspective, isn't it? Well, the quality, the the oral audio quality will be better. Whether the content's any better, that is 120 million percent debatable. Well, yeah, and also I can very much imagine someone like listening uh, to this podcast in their car and thinking, ooh, is that what they really sound like? Yeah, our voices are pretty different to some of the earlier episodes. So this is us. Literally naked. I mean, we're not naked. We both sat here with clothes on. But, you know, this is us without the muffles. I mean, you should have left that to the listener's imagination, Bab. No, I don't. I don't wish that on anybody. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's just having headphones and these brand new microphones and then nothing else. Well, maybe we could do a naked special in future. Yeah. Can we cover the chairs, though? I just don't want that trickle of sweat going through the chair. <laughs> That's disgusting. I know, but to be fair, aren't we disgusting to some extent? Well, you are by saying things like that. (laughs) So if you haven't noticed then, the disgusting one, aka me, is Benja. And I am Ben. And I am Argentinian. And I'm British. And... This is Bearback, the podcast where we quarrel and discuss whose culture is better. British. Mm, No. Just no. Argentinian. All the way. So before we came on the air, uh, moving on, we had a little bop around the house to some early noughties house music, didn't we? And it got me to thinking, Benha, 
Mm-hmm. Does the music that you listen to when you're younger really define who you are as you kind of go through your adult life? Yes, definitely. I mean, the music that you like helps you build relationships with people. Uh, in my case, with my brothers and with friends from school. So it builds relationship and it kind of makes you feel things, the type of music, and it makes you feel different emotions and, and so on and so on. So, yeah, definitely. And what about the notion that, you know, songs that were in the charts at particular points in your life, like, really define you as a person? Do you believe any of that? Uh, no. Why so? Because if my personality were defined by the song that was number one at some point in my life, I would be a schizophrenic. What do you mean? Well, Argentina works a little bit different, but from the UK, we don't have a national chart. So each radio in each city has its own chart. So realistically, at each point in time, more than one song, multiple songs are going to be number one, depending on what radio you listen to. There isn't a, a, a national sort of a big one that everyone knows is like the chart. And do they just make it up? No, no, people vote. I think nowadays there must be like downloads and things like that. But it goes through uh, sort of each individual radio in each individual city. I, I guess you probably have like, you know, by text, you text like the name of the song, something like that to a number or you call the radio. People call the still call the radio. Well, I think here it's obviously done by sales, downloads, and I think to an extent airplay as well. It's all kind of like balanced around. So if we look on the official UK charts company, official singles page, whatever that is. Okay. The song that was number one on the day I was born was You Spin Me Round, open brackets, like a record, close brackets, by Dead or Alive. Okay. It kind of suits you, it has to be said. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's a good song as well, I love that song. And yours... Oh, God. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory, <laughs> by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. I'm really not sure what to say about that, Bab. And it's crazy, because it's not like we were born that far apart, you know, it's only a few years. And, <laughs> you know, I get a disco banger, and you get that. I mean... Paul McCartney. I mean, I like Stevie Wonder, but Paul McCartney. Well, you know, he's pretty much of a legend here. Okay, let's go with that. Um, But if you remember, we were at a barbecue with our friend Amy the other week, and she said that she'd been told that whatever song was number one on your 14th birthday, it really defines you for the rest of your life. Okay, so what's yours? Well, mine's amazing. On my 14th birthday, number one in the UK charts was... Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Yeah, so basically you were defined as being gay. But it's such an iconic song. The video, the dance routine, the emergence of Britney as a pop star. I mean, if I can be defined by that for the rest of my life, I'm quite happy. You are. It's the the song, the video, the surgeons of Britney. Gay, gay, gay. Well, you know, I think Britney's a little bit more than just gay. Well, yeah, a little bit, but it kind of defines you very well. I- I'm really happy with that. I'm really, really happy with that. I'm I'm quite happy 
wearing the outfit that she wears in the video, uh, doing the dance, and... The ponytails and the schoolgirl yeah, uniform. and flicking the pencil, you know, waiting for the bell to ring. Uh, just FYI, I do not have a sexual fantasy with a school uniform. Well, I don't have a school uniform, so... That's good. good. Well, yours, on the other hand, is... It's not great, I'm afraid, especially for an Argentinian, because... On your 14th birthday, at number one in the UK charts, was Three Lions, which was a song... I think we hosted the some football contest that year. It's basically a song about British football. It was done by uh, Badil and Skinner with the Lightning Seeds. Never heard it. And it's, it's a real shame, because if you look at the second spot, Gina G, who are just a little bit, that's who we... Um, put up for Eurovision that year and in third it was Mysterious Girl by Peter Andre so I have not heard any of those three songs what I wasn't living in the UK back then you haven't heard Mysterious Girl no Mysterious Girl I want to get close to you with Peter Andre who was married to Katie Price you know with the six pack I've heard that song, but once I moved here in the to the UK, I didn't know that song before I moved here. And once he got potassium poisoning because he ate too many bananas, he got really ill. Can you overeat bananas? Apparently, Peter Andre did. Mm, that sounds like something else. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm I don't trust that story. But anyway, songs. I, what does it say about me, about my personality, the fact that I haven't even heard any of those songs? You like British football. You want England to win the World Cup? No. You want them to win every contest? No. And I also don't want a mysterious girl. Ooh, ah, uh, just a little bit? <laughs> which, one, which one's that one? Ooh, ah, uh, just a little bit. Ooh, ah, uh, little bit more. Ooh, ah, uh, just a little bit. Give me what I'm looking for. Is that song about sex? Well, most pop songs are about sex if we strip them back to their bare bones. But I like to think that Gina G was just, you know, she just wanted a little bit more, you know. She'd had, I don't know, she'd been to Toby Carvery for a roast dinner. She had all the meats, all the veg, and then she just thought, you know what, just a little bit. She wanted a bit more stuff in. Uh, well, <laughs> I hope she got some stuff in. Pop songs, uh, yes, they're about sex, but they tend to be a little bit more subtle. This isn't really subtle at all, is it? I mean, even when you're talking about a rose, you're still wishing she got stuff. <laughs> and had all the meats. And had all the meats. I, I quite like that. If anybody really does know the meaning behind Gina G's who are just a little bit, do get in touch with us because we'd love to know. And if it is about Toby Carvery, please, can you confirm that? Um, I haven't just made it up, honest. And if you want to let us know which song was number one when you turned 14 and whether that's affected or defined your personality, give us a shout. Oh, baby, baby. Why do you sing it like if you are a 95-year-old woman? Because that's how Britney sings, doesn't she? She's She's got that kind of crackle at the back of her voice that kind of reverberates. She doesn't sound like a 100-year-old lady. You do when you sing it. Maybe I'll have some singing lessons at work. Do it again. Oh, baby, baby. See, you're going to see your pain. Let's see if I can do it. Okay. Oh, baby, baby. You sound like you're out of breath. <laughs> I am a little bit. Even though I'm sitting down, I'm still a little bit out of breath. You sound like you've just like climbed a mountain and you're like, Oh, babe, babe, babe. Oh, baby, baby. <laughs> that was too low. Too low? What? A bit higher. <laughs> I don't know if I can go higher. I mean, I know I can go higher, but... 
Oh, baby, baby. See, yeah, but it just doesn't sound right there. I think that was your best attempt. Mm, I think we might as well just move along. Amen. So, Bab, look into the post bag. Well, yeah, interesting delving into the post bag this week because we've had a letter, well, an email. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would have been worried if we had a letter because people don't know our address. Oh, well, I actually gave that out on uh, our Instagram account, at Bareback Podcast. No, I didn't really. Just joking. Okay. It was just a way for me to sneakily get the uh, the Instagram account handle into there. Yeah, I was just giving you daggers with my eyes. Anyway, we've had a letter. And I say letter. Technically, it's an email, but it reads like a letter. And you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I mean when I read it out. It's from a lovely lady called Margaret. Okay. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Margaret. Thanks for getting in touch with us. And this is what Margaret said. Okay. Dear Ben, I was pointed to your podcast by my grandson, Craig, who downloaded it onto my mobile telephone iPhone. Mobile telephone? Mobile telephone iPhone. Mobile telephone iPhone. Okay. Whilst I believe this was in some way a prank, rude, when you consider my views on such matters, I must admit I enjoyed it for the most part. Okay. Uh, Good to know that you've enjoyed the most part, Margaret. Even if you consider, I thought you were the same person for the first 15 minutes and you were just putting on a funny voice. (laughs) Try to imitate my voice. Try to imitate my voice. I'm not a robot. I'm not a robot. Yeah, no. See? Yeah, no. See? (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go back to Margaret's letter. Okay, let's go back. Okay. I'm not sure the etiquette of signing off such notes, as I am only on my fourth course of computers at the Age UK Learning Programme. Such a nice young man, John, set me up with my own Gmail account in November. Oh, thank you, John, for setting up uh, Margaret's email account. And my grandson showed me how to do an email. Oh, I'm email and podcast as well, listening to podcasts. Very advanced. Well, to be fair, Craig did cheekily download it onto her phone. Yeah, but she would have needed to go into the podcast app, you know, do something with it and press play. So, all to you, Margaret. But Margaret does add, my husband thinks it's a waste of time, but I love to Facebook all of my five grandchildren. Ah, oh, see, my grandmother's not in, uh, on Facebook. No, but she's doing emojis now, your grandma, isn't she? Oh, yeah, she does, like, on WhatsApp video calls. She sends emojis. Uh, she sends photos. So, yeah, she's very well with WhatsApp, just not Facebook. What's your grandma's favourite emoji? Mm, I don't know, but normally she sends, like, either hearts or just smiley faces, just your regular... Smiley faces. Any gifts? No, I haven't seen her send her a gift yet. But maybe that's like stage two. Well, it sounds like she needs to join Margaret on this Age UK learning programme. It might be the case, but she would need to sort of surpass a little bit of an obstacle called the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, that's true. And the other obstacle being the English language. Oh yeah, because she doesn't speak English. But Margaret's... But I think it's great that she's contacting her grandchildren on Facebook. I'd love my grandma to be on Facebook, you know, slide into her DMs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, absolutely amazing, Margaret. And she does, bless her, she signs off the email, even though she wasn't sure of the etiquette. She says, you can add me to your four-star reviews. Well, Margaret, thank you very much for the four stars. 
FYI, I can assure you that we are two different people. Yeah, also, why not five star? Well, five star is perfection, and we are almost there. Okay, fair dues, Margaret. We will try harder for you. Exactly. Let's take those four and make them into five stars. So today in Bareback, we are really looking back. We are taking a trip down memory lane. Oh, I love memory lane. I know, me too. What we're going to talk about today, Bab? We are going to talk about the incredible, amazing, wonderful world of children's TV. Yeah, but not children's TV now, so... TV from our own childhoods. Well, I'd be a bit worried if you were watching children's television right now. Mm, Why not? Because you're nearly 40. Okay, you have a point. But indeed, we are going to discuss the wonderful Argentinian and British children's television programs that moulded us into the people that we are today. Probably more than the songs that were number one when we turned 14. (laughs) Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about television, children's television in the UK. Oh, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. You know, we're very fortunate that we have the BBC and ITV. And as far as I can remember, both those channels were making really, really good programmes for children. All different kinds of kinds of programmes. And this is before digital and Sky and all that kind of thing. All different types of television programmes, uh, whether it be animation, cartoons also kind of like factual creative programs obviously a lot of educational stuff we had and yeah a lot of drama as well i remember growing up they made a lot of dramas for for children and, and young young adults like a children's standard when i was growing up we had a, a great program set in newcastle called biker grove and um, that's my really terrible attempt at doing a, a geordie accent and it was basically about um, a children's centre up in Newcastle. Kids would hang out. But it's really famous because that's where Ant and Deck started their careers. They were on there as the characters PJ and Duncan. And they then released records as PJ and Duncan. And then at some point they reverted to their real names, Ant and Deck. And, you know, that's where they are today. Were they in that show Siamese Twins as they are now? They're not Siamese Twins. Well, how far are they really? Well, one of them has got a much bigger forehead than the other. That's how I can kind of tell the difference. I read somewhere that, though, that they have like a tunnel that connects their houses or something like that. (laughs) I don't think that's true. But can you imagine if it were? You know that they have separate wives and they have separate houses. and, And guess what? They even have separate families as well. They're not the same person. They are, they're just two people who came together in their youth and they've just worked together their entire lives. I never said they were the same person. I just implied that they were separated Siamese dreams. And then the other one that I used to love as a kid as well, and it was on about five o'clock, about around tea time, uh, was Grange Hill. And that was basically a soap, but set in a school. See, we didn't do like drama for children. There were some dramas for like teenagers, young adults, you would call them. But mostly our, our childhood TV shows were either cartoons, some of them Argentinian, but most of them uh, sort of from everywhere else in the world. And they would all be translated to these like neutral Latin Spanish, very, very different from Argentinian Spanish. 
So you would have us as kids like using words that were sort of from Latin American Spanish and had nothing to do with Argentinian Spanish. Like what? We would use the intonation, like, for example, you know how we pronounce the verbs differently, like tienes or tenés in Argentinian Spanish as tenés or querés una coca or instead of quieres una coca. So you would have children just speaking like Latin American Spanish, which sounded really odd in Argentinian accent. And then the rest were sort of like entertainment shows. There was around a host, then sort of helpers, that would be either dancers, singers, like teddy bears or, or, or things like that. But they were very, very much, very sort of small children or I would say no more than 10, 11 years old. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's interesting because for me, even as a child, your television habits change. They change very quickly as a child. If we think about when I was, you know, five, six, seven, whatever, it was mainly the cartoons of Hanna-Barbera. So the Flintstones, Josie and the Pussycats, oh, Scooby-Doo. The Jetsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, George Jetson. Well, in Spanish, they were supersonicos. Really? Yeah, yeah. The thing is, everything was translated. So the Flintstones were Los Pica Piedras. Okay, what does that mean? So piedra is stone and pica is like crusher. It's like the the stone crushers. Oh wow! So and the thing is, everything would be translated. The intros, the um, sort of all of the dialogue. So it would all be in Spanish. But was Fred still in Scooby Doo? Yes, Fred was still in Scooby Doo. I used to fancy Fred. You used to fancy Fred. Yeah. You used to fancy the the chalk. Yeah. Hmm. Before we go into cartoons, I want to go earlier. I want to go into my earliest memories of TV shows. Okay. Which were presenter shows. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to run you a little bit through some of the ones that I think that are the more memorable ones. Okay. If you like. Yeah. So the first one that I can remember uh, was called El Show de Carlitos Balá. So Carlos Balá was an entertainer... Well, actually, it's it's not was he is he's 95 but he's still alive wow uh, and he's worked for decades and he was a very sort of like naive comedians he uh, he used to have this kids show and they were very very sort of nice you know there wasn't any chickiness it, it was all sort of like you know like walking the the invisible dog on a leash like uh, gags that were like really really sort of infantile like sickly sweet not necessarily sweet, but very sort of very naive, very innocent type of humor. And of course, um, you had the the theme song and theme song. The theme song. What was the theme song? Is aquí llegó bala, bala, bala. El show va a comenzar. Ya llegó, ya llegó. The way you were performing that, it was almost like you were like a two-year-old again. Yeah, exactly. And the big thing about this show is that he had uh, what was called the chupetometro. That sounds a little bit scientific and a little bit scary for a child. To be fair, to some extent it could have been scary because it was kind of like a rite of passage. So um, the chupetometro was like a big, big transparent cylinder where you could go as a kid and leave your dummy. Ah. And he would, so um, as part of his show, he would encourage children to stop using their dummies. Dummy in Spanish, chupete. Chupetometro, chupetometro is kind of like the measurer of dummies. So basically, this big cylinder was leveled 
And I, to be fair, I don't even remember what happened if it got filled to a certain level, but it was like really, really cool if you could go into the show and leave your dummy there. So your mum took you to the studio to do oh, it? Oh, I, I didn't. That was filmed in Buenos Aires, so it would have been... So what did you do, post yours? Mm, no, I just left my dummy. <laughs> oh, I saw some kids do it at a museum in Stockholm, in Sweden, and it was really weird. It was like for the cats or something. So I don't know if they... It was kind of like an animal park and there were some sort of cats there. I don't know if they were wild cats or domestic cats or whatever. And it was like, leave your dummy here. And then, because it was all in Swedish, I didn't really understand. So I wasn't really sure if they then recycled the dummy and gave the money to the cats. I don't, I don't know. I don't mm. know. But it is quite a popular thing to do, isn't it? Find ways to, you know, to get to wean kids off their dummies. It hasn't worked for me because... You haven't left it. Well, I know. I, I left my dummy and now I just suck my thumb. I know, when you're tired, or when you don't feel well, you just suck on your thumb. Yeah, yeah, it's basically like my portable dummy. Yeah, exactly. It's like your own dummy. But, yeah, so, weird facts about Ben aside. So, again, his show was very, sort of, um, innocent humour, so he had some catchphrases, so he would ask the public, like what does salt taste like and then and the kids in the audience would would scream salty that type of humor all oh, right um i mean that's a hilarious joke isn't it i know and then for example bud is one of the things that everyone watched everyone knew it's like if if you tell someone in argentina un kilo y dos pancitos everyone gets it everyone knows that you're saying that it's something good that is kind of like a gift, a congratulatory thing. If something is really good, you say that is un kilo dos pancitos. Mm. And to be fair, he just took something that used to happen in bakeries. Because you've been to Argentina, and you know that we have a lot of bakeries. A lot of bakeries. We buy our bread every day. Every day. And a lot of families used to buy a kilo of bread every day. But what happened is that the bakers used to put the kilo of bread and then add two other breads. Two other pieces of bread. And it was kind of like a little bit of a gift from the baker. I wish it was like that when you went to Greg's. You bought a sausage roll and they gave you a couple of yum-yums. Kind of, something like that. But wouldn't it be a nice thing? It would be an amazing thing. Exactly. So he made popular that that phrase. So now if you meet someone and they want to basically say that it's really nice, uh, that something is really nice or that something is fantastic, they might say, un kilo dos pancitos. Again, although I didn't go and leave my dummy with him because of logistical reasons, it it really, really stayed in my memory. And I think that everyone in Argentina will know the Chupetometro. I suppose at that age, I was probably... I mean, I, I no surprise that I was massively into Thomas the Tank Engine when I was a child. You know, the trains. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was obsessed and it was... I don't know if you know this, but Thomas Tankington was originally narrated by Ringo Starr. Really? Yeah. The Beatle? Yeah, yeah, the English version. And then Michelangelis did it for a while. I'm not sure who does it now, but it's... To me, Thomas the Tank Engine is not what it used to be because it was originally, obviously, models... And you can actually visit the models at Thomas World in Tamworth. What was it, like stop motion or something like that? Or Well, they had model trains, basically. And yeah, I mean, the eyes and things like that, I would imagine that was stop motion. But now it's all 3D um, computer generated. And, I, and for me, it's just lost that kind of... Innocence? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The other one that I was really big into uh, at that age was Postman Pat. Okay, um, so... Uh, 
By the way, don't be offended, but I've never seen Thomas the Tank Engine. What? It wasn't a thing back in Argentina. <sighs> but also, I have no clue who Postman Pat is. So, Postman Pat is basically a man who lives in, I think, somewhere in Yorkshire. Probably the Dales. It's called Greendale. And it's just about him delivering post. And he has black and white cat called Jess that travels with him. A little red post van. And, you know, goes and sees various people as he's doing his delivery. And So he's literally a postman. <laughs> he's literally a postman, yeah. Um, and sometimes he might see, you know, it, it, it was set in the countryside. And he was just going about his business delivering letters. And occasionally he'd do other stuff like sit and have a picnic. You know, he'd stop by and visit Mrs. Groggins, Bill Thompson, you know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Ted Glenn. I mean, there was all these different characters in it. I mean, you got entertained really easily when you were a kid, Oh, but you? it's such a beautiful programme. And it's got it's stop-motion animation. It's got a really nice song. And again, talking about Thomas the Tank Engine, Postman Pat today, he has got all the mod cons. He's got a helicopter now. He's got a train. He's basically like DHL, Amazon and Royal Mail all rolled into one. And he does everything. I mean, he is overworked and underpaid now. When I used to like Postman Pat, as I say, he would stop and, you know, have a sandwich... But now he doesn't have time to, you know, go to the toilet because he's so busy. To be fair, I kind of wish that Royal Mail would deliver our mail from a helicopter or something like that. It would be so cool. Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. Somebody buys a stamp and then all of a sudden, you know, that gets delivered in person by Pat via helicopter. I don't think the sums are quite adding up there. But it makes for great TV for today's generation, so... Yeah, see, now, us, um, other than, car- than, uh, than cartoons that were a little bit more grown up, if you like, more or less similar age, but us, it, when you were a kid, it was still sort of shows with a presenter. And to be fair, Carlito Paila was probably the only one that I remember that was actually a man. Mostly were women, and mostly were very beautiful women. And there was always this thing that it was the best way to get fathers to take their kids for a, an afternoon out to the theatre. Because they would, like, tour around the country and fathers would take the kids and there would be something for everyone. Oh, literally. Yeah, kind of. So the, fir- the first one that I uh, remember, and it was probably one of the first ones that I saw, but then there must have been before and there were definitely a lot after that, but was a woman called Flavia Palmiero. And she had two shows in two different channels. The first one was called La Ola Verde, the Green Wave, and then she changed channels and had La Ola Está de Fiesta, which was the the wave is having a party. <laughs> so the wave was no longer green, it was literally just having a party. Just having a party. Yeah, and it was La Ola, Ola, Ola Está de Fiesta, La Ola, Ola, Ola Ya Llegó, Con Flavia, Con Pelini, Las Canciones. Oh yeah, Pelin was like her psychic, which was a, a massive bear, and I have to Google these because I think that it's going to be one of those things that at that time I thought that he was like such a, a pretty and nice bear. I think that if I Google a photo of it now, it's going to look creepy. Oh my God, I was right. Let's see. Okay, give me your first honest reaction of the bear Berlin. Oh my God, that is terrifying. I know. That is like... Literally one of the most scariest things that I've ever seen. Is that a nose? I think that is supposed to be his nose. It looks like a poo. And yeah. is that a mushroom on his head? 
no, I think that's like a um, cab, like a beret, something like that. That is absolutely terrifying. I know. And the, the worst part is, is look at his mouth on, on the right. It looks lopsided. I, I, I kind of feel like he just had a stroke. God. And what's with the eyelashes as well? It's, they're like spider's legs. I know. No, 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 no. That's not good. I don't know how you even thought that was cute when you were a kid. Again, when I was a kid, Pelin was the best. And he was always with Flavia, and Flavia was the best. She was, like, so pretty and so nice and, and, and so on. She was an actress. She had started her career as an actress and then went into that. And then, funny enough, she went into a relationship with a businessman that was twice her age. So she was 31 and the guy was 62. Wow. But she did like a whole sort of woman thing because she, at, at the beginning, apparently she wasn't interested. So she got invited to a party and she dressed like the worst she could for the guy to basically to leave her alone. And basically just said, look, I have children. I have a career. I'm not a trophy. I'm not the woman for you. I, I just left. But then eventually the guy kind of won her over and they fell in love and they were together for a few years. But she's continued to work, not a lot with children though, but she's had albums and I think that one of her albums went like gold in like a week. But yeah, Pelin was terrifying. I kind of wish I hadn't Googled it now. It kind of ruined my childhood now. Well, I used to watch this program as a child that was really, really scary too. I don't know why I watched it. It was called The Trapdoor. Okay. And it was, again, it was stop motion. And it was set in a monster's castle. And there was kind of three main characters. There was Burke, who was a blue blob. A blue blob? Yeah. Then there was Boney, who was a disembodied human skull. I mean, that sounds terrifying. How old were you when you were watching this? Probably like five. Oh. And then there was Dutt, who was Burke's pet. And it was an oversized spider. But actually, the thing about the pet spider, which was really interesting, was that the programme was actually very ahead of its time, because the spider was always characterised as male, but then had a baby litter in the second series. Well, but there are species of spiders that can swap genders, can they? Oh, really? Biological sex. I, th- I think so. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. I think it's a matter of reproduction and continuation of the species. If they can find a mate, they can swap sex. Just like that? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Apparently rabbits can do that as well, can't they? Can they? I think at an early age, like they can be born one sex and then change. See, I didn't know about mammals. I thought it was like uh, creatures that lay eggs. Like in Jurassic Park. Like in Jurassic Park, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You thinking the same thing. I'm thinking about Jurassic Park, of course, which totally could happen. But another programme that I watched around the same time as that one, uh, which I loved and you must see, is Rainbow. And it's basically... A gayer Sesame Street. So you had... (laughs) Can it get gayer than Sesame Street? Well, I think... Yeah. So you had Zippy. I don't really know what animal Zippy was, but basically he had a zip for a mouth. So whenever he got annoying, people would zip his mouth up. Then you had George, who was the giant pink hippopotamus. And Bungle was the brown bear. And they all lived in the rainbow house with Geoffrey, who was a human. But George, the hippopotamus, his sexuality is often been debated a little bit like people do with Bert and Ernie okay. um, he had a limp wrist and he would often bathe with Zippy were they roommates in a one bedroom flat but yeah something like that in, in fact there was a, a pastor a few years ago at a church I think in London who claimed that 
rainbow was gay propaganda because in the opening sequence of the program you see a rainbow that opens a book he said that that was potentially homosexuality infiltrating the bible potentially not i think it's absolutely bang on right let's go with the gay agenda (laughs) but i mean every line of that program was double entendre so in one episode you've got george who says uh, and this is the pink hippopotamus um, who says, yesterday we played with each other's balls. Are we going to play with our friend's balls today? And then Bongle replied, yes, and we can play with our twangers as well. What's a twanger? Well, a twanger is like a, an instrument that you twang, like literally. I think they had a, a group who came on and they all had twangers and they and they used to twang them. But obviously... So they were playing with balls and twangers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can very much see that being the homosexual agenda, sort of moving forward onto the children of this country. <laughs> but it's a great show. It's a great show. And it's one of those ones where you watch it now and it does feel very dated, but you still get the kind of warmth that came out of it. Yeah, but see, I feel like the shows in uh, in the UK were all about sort of fancy train a postman. I don't know why a postman, but apparently a postman. Oh, well, talk and about postman. We also had a fireman, fireman Sam. Okay, but at least a fireman can be a little bit more exciting. I'm, I'm sorry, no disrespect with our um, faithful post people, but a show about someone posting letters. I'm still hung up on that. That's the thing, but I haven't seen it, so maybe I just need to see it. Then again, you have shows like Sesame Street. We didn't really make it to Argentina when I was a kid. I feel like your shows were a little bit more sort of innocent in terms of the characters. Us tended to be very innocent in the content, but anything but in the characters. And that takes me to Shusha. 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 X-U-X-A. Okay. Now, Shusha was massive. So Shusha is a Brazilian presenter. Now, uh, she had her show, El Show de Xuxa, in Brazil, but then she did it in Argentina, uh, and she did it in Spanish, and that basically got sort of distributed and seen all through Latin America, in the US, by obviously Spanish-speaking uh, residents in, uh, in the US. It was absolutely massive. Now, Xuxa, formerly a model, used to wear very, very... Nice outfits, let's say. And she would be joined by her entourage, which were called Paquitas. And the Paquitas would be wearing, like, a red blazer, open blazer, like a shirt. And they would have, like, the shortest pleated skirts with knee-high red boots and hat. And this is a children's show. And this is a children's show. And the Paquitas were dancing and helped Shusha sing and Shusha sang. And and again, the content was really, really innocent. Uh, she used to be known as La Reina de los Bajitos, which translates like the queen of the little ones, of the short ones, which is how she referred to children. She would call them Miss Bajitos. And she had these beautiful songs. A lot of them were really, really good for football. So, because they were really... So, for example, one that it was called Ilarie, sort of the the main chorus was Ilarie, oh, 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 Ilarie, oh, 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 este es el show de Shusha, que lo escucha con amor. But, of course, 
everything. So, for example, in my team, it was Hilary Larrie, new soul voice. Hilary Larrie, new soul voice. Insert football team here. Yeah, insert football team there because it would kind of go with uh, every football team. But Shusha was also immensely controversial. <gasps> so she was a wag for a little bit. She actually dated Pele. Wow. For a few years. Then she dated Ayrton Senna, the Brazilian F1 racer that tragically died. And I think that she was like really, really crushed by that, although she wasn't with him when he died, I, I, I seem to remember. But then she jumped up to fame as an actress and she did a film, a very controversial film, where she has a sex scene with a 12-year-old boy. <gasps> And she'd been a children's television presenter. Well, that was before she was a children's television presenter. She actually went to court to get the uh, film sort of taken out. So make it not available. Yeah, but I'm not being funny. She knew that she was going to be in the film. And then what? Did she? Did the film come out and she was like, actually, that's not really a good look. It was different times of her life. She was like, uh, she studied as a model and as an actress and she did this in the early 80s. And to be fair, in the early 80s, she also did like a um, uh, like a whole nude for Playboy. So she studied as a model, uh, as an actress and these very controversial things. And over only years later, like six, seven years later, she became a children's TV presenter. She actually sued Google and won because... Her name was kind of associated by Google to pedophilia because of the the story of that film. But then there was even more controversy about it. Now, the one that I remember the most is that there was this rumour that if you took her cassettes, because, yeah, at that time there were cassettes, we listened to cassettes, and you sort of opened the cassette and flipped the tape that you could hear satanic messages when played like that. And you know what? I remember being in primary school and I remember a lot of people gathering into what was like an event hall in the school. And I remember someone putting a cassette that they said was that, sort of Shusha's cassette, sort of turned around and I heard it myself. It was awful. I was probably... You heard the demonic sound? Yeah, well, it wasn't demonic sound. It was like, uh, it was kind of like a, a woman's voice that seemed very similar to her saying, Children, do you believe in God? No. Do you believe in the devil? Yeah. It, it was like really, really odd. I never knew, to be fair, I, I wasn't involved in the people who got the cassette, so I don't know how real it was, but at that time, I was shook. I, but obviously, it was fake. I, I don't know. I don't think it ever was like. Proven or disproven. I suppose it's like the satanic messages on anything, isn't it? But why would she do that? I mean... I Well, the thing is, people people associated her with pedophilia, with sort of being... And again, people get... Oh, they attach that to being a satanist or something like that. So people make up the um, all, all of their own stories. They still bought the Playboy, but they still judge her like her. And I never knew what the end result of that was. Because, of course, it was all rumours, and I don't think that she ever gave any credit to it. And to be fair, she's still working today, and I think that she has now more uh, shows that are uh, for sort of like young adults, if you like. But she's working in Brazil, she has been for years, so she hasn't done a lot of things in Spanish for a long time. But everyone in Argentina will be able to sing you a Shusha song. 
Wow. She was huge. She was the first Brazilian ever to be in the richest people's list in Forbes. That was in the uh, mid 80s. She went something like, I think that her record sold like 15 million copies. She was absolutely massive. I suppose in terms of sort of record-breaking children's television, we've obviously got Blue Peter, which started in 1958, I believe, and that makes it the longest-running children's television programme in the world. I mean, Peter must be knackered by now. (laughs) Well, Blue Peter's a ship. Oh, it's not a person. It's not a person. But the thing that Blue Peter is most famous for is that if you write in, you get a Blue Peter badge, which is where, if you remember from the UK drag race, mm-hmm. they get a Rue Peter badge, and it's a it's a play on, okay. the, on the Blue Peter badge. Now, I wrote a poem uh, about the environment. I think it went in a book or something. You went ahead of your time. <laughs> and I got um I got sent a Blue Peter badge. Mine was a competition winner's badge. There's all different types of ones. The, the the one you aspired to was a gold one, but they only really give that to like royalty and like really big celebrities. I think David Beckham got one. Do you still have your Blue Peter badge? Yeah, 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 it's in the garage in a box because at the time the Blue Peter badge would get you into museums and and attractions for free as well. So it was it was, you know, every kid wanted a Blue Peter badge. Um because every kid wanted to go to museums. Absolutely. What child would not want to go to a museum? Uh, Every child I know. So I was on Blue Peter when my dad's friend, who was involved in the railways, they were stoking the fires of Mallard. I think they were taking it, the steam engine Mallard, Mm -hmm. at York. And he invited me down. And I got to go on the footplate. And there was like literally thousands of other kids there that wanted to be on the footplate. But I was allowed up because my dad's friend had organised this event. Nepotism, mad. (laughs) And I... You could briefly see me uh, on the programme. But the other thing that Blue Peter was famous for as well was the makes. So they'd always, they'd they'd do a lot of make and take activities on it. So Mm. lots of... What does that mean? They would show you how to make things that would be useful at home. So whether that be art or, you know, how to make a pen pot or something like that. But the big thing that they showed you how to make um, was Anthea Turner back in the 90s. And she showed people how to make Tracy Island. Now, Tracy Island was the headquarters of the Thunderbirds. It was a puppet show in the 60s, and it kind of had a resurgence in the early 90s. Okay. And the toy that everybody wanted for Christmas was the Tracy Island set. And it was basically, there was a swimming pool, and the, and the water drained, and the rocket came out of the swimming pool, and then they had Thunderbird 2 was this sort of giant green aeroplane that would come out of the, mount, the side of the mountain and stuff. But of course... With a lot of popular kids' toys back in the, in the day, they all sold out. So Blue Peter showed you how to make one yourself out of papier-mâché. I mean, it sounds like it would be very complicated to make. Extremely complicated. I think she did it over several weeks. And by the time we'd kind of tried to keep up with her, I think the papier-mâché had, like, gone off. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think that by the time she finished, it sounds like Christmas would have come and gone. <laughs> So bless me, my mum and my dad and my brother tried to do it. But I think we gave, I think we did the pool um, and we did like a little bit of the rock face at the side, but we, we gave up doing the villa on top. So yeah, it went in the bin. Whilst you were like doing paper mache uh, sort of things, I don't know what it, what was it called? Say it again. Tracy Island. Tracy Island. So good for Tracy, um, whoever she is. Whilst you were doing Tracy on paper mache we were watching really, really cool cartoons. Okay. And I know that you said that your first, uh, sort of your cry, you, you had a crush on Fred. I had a crush on a silver hook. So if you remember, 
people listening from Argentina, from anywhere in Latin America, or I think it was a, a US-produced cartoon. It was so, so cool. It was like literally these humans who had been merged with metal to form like space soldiers. And they were, basically, they used to have this ship called the Mirage that could go invisible. And they basically would be like lying down on a pod and they would eject from those pods and then they would develop wings like bring out metallic wings and fly around from space and they used to have like lasers that shoot from their shoulders and one of the characters they were basically twins a guy and a girl and the guy in Spanish called Acerino and I had to google this before the show because I've never heard it in English but apparently in English he was called Stillwell Oh my god, he was so hot. <laughs> hotter than Fred? Much hotter than Fred. Insanely much hotter than Fred. I suggest everyone listening, Google Silverhawks, still will, and you'll know what I mean. No, I'll stick with Fred. He He's much more attainable. Fred was kind of like an old school fella. Still will was a hunk. He was like, oh... But then Silverhawks as well had, weirdly enough, they had a character called Copper Kid, <laughs> El Nino de Cobre, who was actually, um, wait for this, he came from the planet of the mimes. Of the mimes? Yeah. Where they don't speak? Well, he whistled and he did speak, but mostly he didn't. And, and his face kind of looked like a mime. And he was like the only alien. And they fought like these... Uh, sort of space mobster and it had music it had like rock music and it was so so cool but then it went educational so at the end of each show you would have an education part where the copper kid because he was a kid was still learning things okay so he would get into like a simulator with another one of the silver hogs and basically, he would be asked questions. Not a lot of maths, because apparently, for whatever reason, the mimes were, like, super with with maths. So he was really cool at maths. So he would be asked questions about geography, about astronomy. So he would be asked all of these questions that we could have and we could get at school. So you have your learning moment. <laughs> While you're firing lasers from your shoulders. Whilst you're firing lasers from, from your shoulders. It was the coolest thing ever. And still will. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> and then there was always a thing for everyone. It wasn't just still will for for the guys. Then have you ever heard of Messenger Said? No. Oh god. So Messenger Said was a mecha. It was like a big robot. It was a Japanese um cartoon. And at that time there were loads of Japanese uh, sort of robot cartoons making it to Argentina. It was Messenger Said, Boltron, Grandizer, Gundam. There were so many of them. They're all robots fighting other robots, basically. The story with Messenger was that uh, these villain Basically, just every week he built a different robot to try and dominate the world. <laughs> Sounds like Power Rangers. Yeah, kind of. And every week, then Kochi, which was the the main character, used to get into Messenger Z. And he had like a hovercraft that kind of landed in the head of the robot. Okay. And basically, he started controlling the robot from there. And he shot his fists. They shot, but then they came back. He was super powerful. But the important thing, or the thing that is 
to highlight about Massinger said is that there was a female robot called Aphrodite A. Aphrodite A. Yes, and Aphrodite A had missile titties. What? Literally had missile titties. Like the fembots in Austin Powers? Kind of. So basically, so she would shoot her breasts that were missiles. Oh dear. And again, this is a children's program. This is a children's program, and to be fair, all of the all of the boys loved it. I bet they did. I mean, I, and the thing Disgusting. is... Disgusting. But it normalised talking about boobs, and how in real women, boobs don't shoot out. Well, I mean, I think they can, technically. Yeah, but you cannot detach a breast and throw it to someone. No, that's true. So <laughs> That's true. It kind of was like a lesson in biology and anatomy. And at the end of the episode, did the mime kid have to answer questions about boobs? No, and this one was just good old mecha fire fighting. Fun fact about Massinger said, Guillermo del Toro, you know, the director, mm-hmm. he said that Massinger said was actually one of his uh, huge inspirations for the film Pacific Rim. <laughs> So he went from boobs to rimming. Exactly, <laughs> boobs to rimming. Um, the magic of the English language, isn't it, Bob? Absolutely, absolutely. So how old would you be when you were watching these? Oh, probably would have been, what, seven? Yeah. To be fair, I think Massinger was originally from the 70s and it actually trickled into Argentina in the early 80s. I, I, I must admit, the kind of manga stuff that you're talking about didn't really come over to the UK the only one that I can remember that's similar to this was a program called Aquila Um, and basically this was about two lads in I don't know they lived in England somewhere it was a a, it wasn't a cartoon it was a drama okay so Tom and Jeff and they I don't know how but they found the skeleton of a Roman centurion and next to the skeleton of the Roman centurion they also found a boulder but it wasn't a boulder it turned out to be a spaceship but it kind of looked like, if you imagine a Ford KA, you know, the Ford car, yeah, crossed with a Conker. And it could only understand Latin. Romans spoke Latin, didn't they? Yeah. And the ship could travel anywhere in the universe, or infinite distances. It had invisibility. It also came with a lie detector. I remember that. Remote control. There was a holographic interface. But also, randomly, it could send emails as well. It could send emails. If they couldn't find it, they could email to find out where the spaceship was. Did they have to email in Latin as well? I remember at one stage, they asked it in Latin if it could speak English. And from then on in, it just spoke to them in English. Okay, so it, it wasn't sort of a, like an attempt to introduce the Latin language into the UK. It was just a roast yeah. for the show. Yeah, and, and I can't remember why there was the Roman centurion and why it could only speak Latin. And, and really frustratingly, there was two series and it was brilliant but it ended on a cliffhanger because the spaceship that they had was like basically the escape pod of a much bigger craft. At the end of series two, they located the main battleship, but unfortunately they never they never made a third series, so sad times. Yeah, and I think that just as um, Guillermo del Toro inspired on Massinger said to do Pacific Rim, then I think that someone took inspiration from these to do Ancient Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some really, really good live-action dramas made for kids around that time. The other one that I loved was Uncle Jack, which was basically about Michael and Kate. They were the characters, and it was their Uncle Jack. And he was an environmentalist on one hand, but okay. he was also an undercover agent for MI5. 
so it was kind of like a cross between James Bond meets Indiana Jones, but with very, very shaky sets. But the, the, the thing that I loved about it was the villain in Uncle Jack was called the Vixen. And yeah, she was this lady with a very short bob haircut, very kind of sexual, husky voice. Uh, and it was played by Fenella Fielding, who used to be in the sort of carry-on films, which were the sort of saucy comedies in the 60s and 70s. And I was, you know, as a kind of young child, you know, when we talk about, you know, when we were talking about before about, you know, Britney Spears being my sort of gay icon or whatever. I mean, she was my original icon. She the was vixen. amazing. Yeah. And she was, she had this lair in a cave and like the most amazing outfits. And she was, she was just like, she was like Cruella Deville on speed. Like she was incredible. And she'd always have like her, her secret base would always be mm-hmm. like somewhere exotic, like Egypt or the moon. They did move the secret base then. Well, she had a different one each series. Okay. Uh, one of them was in Loch Nock, which was obviously a, a, a mick take of Loch Ness, because there was an episode about the Loch Ness monster. But it was, it was, you know, it was really educational in the sense that it was kind of there was always an environmental message behind them. You know, don't meddle with nature, that kind of thing. And the other one that I really liked was a little bit later. Was called the Demon Headmaster, and that was basically about. A headmaster who was a demon. So it's like a school headmaster that was a demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to hypnotise the kids to do what he wanted. I mean, is that what happens when demons don't drop out of school and go into uni? They eventually become headmaster of a school. Well, the thing was, in the first series, it was a headmaster. Then in the second series, he was like director of an IT centre. Then in the third series, he run a biogenetics institute. And then in the fourth series, he was sort of tackling artificial intelligence. So if we're looking at the career span of a head teacher, he did pretty well. I mean, talk about demonic career progression. That's pretty good. That's something that all sort of little demons out there can really look up to and say, that's what I want to achieve with my professional life. Yeah, I mean, he started off as a head teacher, which is a pretty amazing job. Yeah, to begin with. And then, you know, by series four, but he was foiled, obviously, every series by the kids. I remember it was so popular, they turned it into a musical. And we went to see the musical and me and my friend who were obsessed with the programme, we'd made up songs before we went to see the musical. And one of them was, I am the demon headmaster, look into my eyes and you will find... I can't remember what it we went on after that. But the problem was, when we got to see the musical, the demon headmaster didn't actually sing in the musical. Because oh. apparently the actor who played the demon headmaster, Terence Hardyman, brilliant actor, but one of the things he can't do is sing. So we were really disappointed because we thought he was going to sing, I am the demon, but he didn't. Because... Yeah, but you had made up that song anyway, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, So it yeah, wasn't yeah. like an official demon headmaster album song, was it? No, but we literally made a whole musical of what we thought was going to be in the musical. Of course, none of it was. Um, but they all basically revolved around the demon headmaster singing songs from his perspective, which never happened because he didn't sing. Mm. Did children die? A lot of children were hypnotised. I can't remember anybody dying. There was a, there was a hyperbrain, and one of the kids was turned into a hyperbrain in the fourth what's series. What's that? Well, it was like uh, a floating brain. Her her brain was like the perfect brain or something, and she was infiltrated by the demon headmaster. Um, but apparently it came back a couple of years ago and it wasn't like a reboot. It was a continuation. He wasn't, Terence Hardiman wasn't playing the, the demon, demon. master, but apparently the storyline continued from the original series. So I'd be quite interested to see that. I mean, maybe he also got a degree in plastic surgery and kind of operated on his own face and that's why he looks different. So he went from artificial intelligence to plastic surgery. 
Well, I mean, if you want to fool people, then you change your face. Makes sense, doesn't it? And if you want to make sure that everyone knows who you are... I am the demon headmaster. (laughs) You have a theme theme song. (laughs) The reason I was asking whether people died, because as a kid, my favourite cartoon of all time, people died. Like, loads. Oh, that is sad. But it was the most amazing cartoon ever. So there were three series of Robotech. Now, it was originally three different Japanese mangas that they were similar enough that they actually changed all of the dialogues and made it into like a three-part story. Basically, is the same story, just in different times, different generations of, uh, of the same story. So basically, the story is that they find like a massive in Japan, like a massive alien ship, the SDF-1, and they meddle with it to start learning about the technology and something, and suddenly it teleports, but it teleports the whole city within it. So the whole, this ship is in space, and basically they rebuild the city, but what happens is that this massive ship actually transforms into a robot, with the city on its back. With the city in it. So they had to build it inside in a way that when it needs to transform, people go into like shelters and the whole city kind of like breaks apart oh and to make part of this. You wonder where people get the ideas for some of these things. Oh, they're amazing. And that's not even half of it. Because what happens is that they learn how to make Veritex. Is that what you take if you've got psoriasis? Mm, no, it's not a skin condition. Veritex, where planes that could transform into robots. So if you imagine like an F-14 fighter, like um, this modern airplane, it had three modes. One was plane. Like your bog standard jet. Um, yeah, exactly, like a, your war plane. Then it could transform into a hybrid that was kind of like the front was like the plane front, but then it had the arms and legs, but it was kind of like crouching, if you like, and then it could turn into a full robot. They were amazing. I've always wanted, and I, a friend of mine had it. It was like really big, the plane that could actually transform the toy. Oh, that was so, so amazing. But this one, so they were fighting a race of aliens that was invading Earth trying to retrieve the ship, and they were giants. So people were like really, really, really tiny. But also, this show had everything absolutely everything so in the first episode or in the first few episodes one of the main character dies spoiler alert yeah you have a love triangle between a pop star a pilot and an officer because the main character who's a pilot is like in a relationship with a pop star called Ming Mei but then he kind of falls in love with a very tough military officer, Lisa Hayes. (laughs) So the whole season goes around this love triangle as well. And who, where does it end? Well, you just said spoiler alert. I'm not going to watch it, so you might as well tell me now. Well, he ends up with Lisa Hayes, with the officer. (laughs) Was that what you wanted? Mm, Yeah, I think that everyone wanted them to get together more than with me, May. The pop star, she's well off anyway. She's a pop Does she star. meet someone else? I don't know actually if she meets someone else, but there is sort of someone else as well in the middle mid mid season. But then there were, funny enough, at that time there was an interracial couple, 
there was also an interspecies couple. Wow. Because one of, one of the, the aliens discover how to miniaturize one of themselves to send them as a spy, and she ends up falling in love with one of the, uh, one of the pilots. It's like really, really... So all of these very adult things in a children's cartoon. The second season is a little bit... Mm, you kind of forget about it. And then the third season introduced the Cyclones, which is the coolest thing ever. It's like a motorcycle that literally transforms into like an armor suit. Wow. And these armor suits like have like hundreds of missiles that shoot from everywhere and you can see all of these <laughs> missiles going everywhere and people die from these missiles. But funny enough, they also had a drag queen. Oh. There was this guy called Lance who is presented as a warrior. So he can pilot planes, he can be he's very masculine, but he is a singer as well and he sings as a woman. So do you think that was them trying to show a bit of gender fluidity or...? A little bit. I think that what's always stuck with me in regards to that is that even when he was as a, uh, as a man, he wasn't as a feminized man. He was very, uh, very manly acting. You wouldn't know that he would do drag. And I think that it did play with those boundaries of what masculine, what feminine... So I think that introduced that idea very, very early on. We're talking about early 80s. But I think that's that's really positive, isn't it? That you can show somebody as, as being comfortable with both identities, you know, and not really seeing a boundary between between each of them. I think all of these, I think, is why Robotech is an absolute favourite of mine. I think it was way ahead of its time in terms of uh, race, in terms of gender, in terms of, well, alien species... And instead, of, and also in showing loss and in showing tragedy, it showed it in a very sort of raw way for a cartoon. But even as a kid, you understood it, but you would be so entertained as well. It was the best thing ever. I think if we're talking about best TV, for me, children's television was always about Saturday morning. So... We would wake up early, probably about half seven, eight o'clock, and maybe some cartoons on, you know, the aforementioned Hanna-Barbera, mm-hmm. or maybe some of the, the newer ones. And then randomly, about half past eight, we would watch a programme called Eggs and Baker, which was, do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about... Not eggs and bacon? Well, that's the play on words. Ah, okay. It's like bareback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about Bucks Fizz, uh, yeah. who played at Eurovision? Well, one of the singers, Cheryl Baker, hence Eggs and Baker, she had a cookery programme early on a Saturday morning, and, and she'd basically show kids how to do really simple dishes. But Bucks Fizz would sometimes pop in and, and test some of her recipes. Would he sing a song there as well? Yes, she would sing. She would sing now and again. I think she actually sang... Now, I might be wrong and I might be imagining this, but I'm pretty sure she sang Baker Street on Eggs and Baker. So, Baker Street on Eggs and Baker. I'm pretty sure she did. Whilst cooking something. Yeah, well, no, I think she was walking down Baker Street while singing it to the camera. So, after Eggs and Baker, then we had... um, Well, there was two programmes that really sort of defined my childhood. The first one was Going Live, which, again, was a, a magazine show... Not like Blue Peter, it was more aimed around comedy. There was game shows involved in it and lots of celebrities and music and things. Um, It was presented by Sarah Green and, and you'll probably know him, Philip Schofield, who is now obviously the presenter of This Morning. 
he started on children's television. He was in something called the Broom Cupboard, which is where he would do the links in between the children's programs. And eventually he came out. <laughs> he came out of the cupboard, yeah. And yeah, came out as well. But he used to he used to be on that show with a puppet called Gordon the Gopher as well that used to squeak. Lots of puppets in uh, in our sort of television. And then after going live, it became live and kicking. And again, it was just brilliant. Like you had these two comedians who were on it called Trevor and Simon. And they were really, really surreal comedians. like well, But like children's comedian or like adult comedian? Well, I think they started off as adult comedians and then they kind of transferred to, to children because although their comedy was very, very clever, they used to do this sketch where they were working in the laundrette and they would do everything in the laundrette, but they wouldn't tumble dry duvets. And it became one of their catchphrases, we don't do duvets. But then each week they'd almost be like in a different profession. So they were in a hair salon one week and they wouldn't do perms. And it became this like really funny joke. And they were just really surreal. Uh, they had this folk duo that they did called, I think it was called The Singing Corner. And they would sing whatever songs were popular at that time. But they would add swing your pants into the... Swing your pants. Swing your pants into the song somehow. And it was just really bizarre. And then there was a game show called Run the Risk that was presented by Peter Simon. And it was basically like a challenge programme where kids had to do like assault courses, but they always ended up falling into gunge. And that was really exciting. But I actually went on Live and Kicking. Okay, so did you were one of the kids that... I didn't go on the game show. There used okay. to be a segment called Cloud Nine where you could write in and you could say what your friend or relative really wanted to do something that they couldn't just go out and do themselves so know what you wanted to do what someone else wanted to do yeah so it would be you would write in for, for somebody else so my best friend at the time really wanted to be an air steward how old was he we would have been about 11 at okay. the time dreams yeah dreams which was quite ironic because the segment was called cloud nine and you he know, wanted to be a yeah, yeah 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 so he got to go and do that he got to go and train with british airways it was really cool and then they invited us to go and sit in the audience because they always had like kids sat in the audience and i remember it was so exciting because billy piper was on it was when she was a pop star at the very start of her career and she was on and we got to stand behind her while she sang a song and i remember she had a massive boil right in the middle of her back and she was performing her song and all i could look at was this spot and be like i really want to pick that spot but obviously i didn't i mean that is what you can remember from that whole experience well no i can remember loads of stuff so lionel blair was on now he's kind of like a dancer entertainer from sort of yesteryear and did he have like a sit on his forehead or something like that he didn't have a sit but he came onto set with a massive piece of toast and he was just eating his toast and he went my children like that and we were like yay he was just amazing like really really fun with toast um jonah lumo was on you know the rugby player mm, no you could ask questions as well on, on the tv program and i asked him uh if he could do the the hacker and he said no how oh. well no he, to be fair he explained it a little bit more eloquently than that because basically it's almost kind of like semi-religious isn't it the hacker yeah so you know he's not just going to do it for some little kid who asked him to on i thought it was like a warm uh, dance or something like that yeah like well, anyway, preparing he, for war he didn't do it for me and then they had these they had these two puppets again called leprechauns a lot of puppets a lot of puppets and it was hilarious because when i saw the leprechauns not you know as themselves not as the puppets they actually looked like their puppets Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it was really, really weird. And then I got to meet... The, the greatest thing, though, of all of this was that I got to meet Mr. Blobby. Mr. Blobby, 
um, has been around for a long time and it's basically a kind of plastic suit with he's all pink with yellow spots and he's got massive green eyes and like a big red he was Christmas number one one year I mean it sounds like someone has chicken pox and me and my brother when we were kids we just thought Mr Blobby was the funniest thing and it kind of reminds me a little bit about some of that humour that you were talking about from the first programme that you mentioned very kind of juvenile you know it was him going shopping and because he was this massive pink blob he would just smash everything in the trolley and it would and it was always like oh blobby 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 because that's all he said oh he, he didn't, didn't speak. speak no he just well he did but he just said blobby i mean mr blobby was huge there was a mr blobby theme park where you could go to blobby land which is where he lived blobby land and you could like go in mr blobby's house and meet mr blobby's family he had a wife and kids and a car and a train honestly it's amazing and would he break everything in his house as well or, or did he know how to maneuver around his own house well I don't know because I never went to Blobbyland oh but you got to meet Mr Blobby I got to meet Mr Blobby in person and interestingly the man who was inside Mr Blobby also looked a little bit like Mr Blobby because he was bald little bit tubby I mean he was alright he was you know you wouldn't push him out of bed but he did look a little bit like Mr Blobby I'm sorry how old were you when you went to the show well, I, I've I've seen his picture as an adult. Okay, so yeah. now you're in your memories. Yeah. Now that you think in retrospect, he was a handsome, bald, tubby guy. Yeah. Okay. Is it that, or is it just because he was famous? Okay, but I kind of now want to go to a vintage toy shop and buy all of these toys that I never had as a kid that I really wanted to have, and some of my friends had, my cousins had, and I kind of want to buy that freaking Baritech plane. But the thing is, when you're an adult buying toys, is it really as exciting? Because I'm not saying we're loaded, we're not, but if we want to go out and buy a £10 toy, we can just go out and buy it. The, the whole thing about a kid is you have to save up your money, you have to ask for wait for your birthday and things like that. Is it the same when you're an adult? Yes, I would definitely, 40-year-old me would play with it, would sit and play with it. Okay. i like, vroom, vroom, and transform it, and I, I would definitely play with it. Okay. You've said that you would play with it three times now. Yes, I know, and um, that's how serious I am about I it. I know you're serious. Is there a toy that I really wanted when I was a kid? I know when I was a, a little boy, I asked for a yellow bike, and it was not allowed a yellow bike because my mum said it would attract bees. And having a yellow t-shirt as an adult, I can categorically say that there was some truth in what my mum said. So, you know, she obviously had my best interests at heart. Yeah, it is true. And I had a red bike and I loved it. So you got the toy that you wanted? Just a different colour? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Let's go. Spoiled. Is there any programmes that we've missed from the British canon that you want us to uh, reminisce on? Do let us know. What was your favourite Argentinian presenter? I mean, did your... Well, not yours, your dad's basically. Did your dad prefer Shusha, Flavia, Reina Rich, Caramelito? Oh, there's loads. Oh, there were loads. And they were all had, like, big breasts. <laughs> and scampy clothes. So that's why I'm asking, which one did your dad prefer? But they didn't shoot out their breasts. That was definitely the Japanese no, that was, cartoon. That was only Aphrodite A from okay. Massinger said. So if you do want to get in touch with us and tell us about all of this or anything that you fancy getting off your chest or <laughs> shooting from your chest, um, you can contact us on Twitter. We are at BarebackPod. You can send us a message or tag us on Instagram at Bareback Podcast. We are on Facebook, just search Bareback. You can also send us an email at barebackpodcast 
at gmail.com. And you can also forward all of our socials and our uh, podcasts in ACA, Spotify, iTunes. Is it iTunes? Uh, Apple Music? Basically, wherever you can download a podcast, we're there. And whenever you can tell your friends to download our podcast, we're there. Do tell them, do tell them. Like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you need to do. Spread the word, spread the love, and we will see you next week. Exactly. And sure, that plane transforms. What are you doing? I want to transform that plane, the Baritech. Bloppy, bloppy! <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.